Uh, I'm Rudy in Auckland. Hey, this is Chris in Chicago, and welcome to the Motion Picture Show. The Motion Picture Show or the Moving Picture Show? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got we got to No, 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 that's all right. That's all right. You know, it's uh, it's 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 growing pain. So, um, you know, it's all right. It's, it's we're running a well-oiled machine over here. <laughs> <laughs> we just before recording, we just said okay. This is what we're gonna do, and I immediately didn't do that. Yeah, we immediately <laughs> fucked it up. <laughs> so yeah, it's the Moving Picture Show. This is, I think, episode number four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. We, um, yeah, I think episode four. We our first episode was kind of a, a general discussion about some of our favorite genre movies, and then we decided to look at the film noir genre and um, we've looked at one movie um, so far which was the 1945 movie Detour and for this discussion we watched a movie called The Stranger Yeah, it's um, Orson, it's an Orson Welles movie from 1946 and um, yeah, I I don't know about you, but I was actually surprised. I know I knew Orson Welles was in it. That's like the number one thing I knew about the movie. But I was surprised when doing the research that he actually directed it because it's not really talked about as one of, at least I don't know when there's like retrospectives with Orson Welles. The Stranger's usually not shown at the local theater. Like it's the way it's. I don't know. I, I didn't. I actually didn't know going in. I feel kind of stupid about it mm. actually um, I was I was completely unaware of the movie actually until you had recommended that we watch it um, and yeah I, I saw that Orson Welles was in it but didn't know that he was the director and yeah it's like you mentioned it's not a movie that's mentioned really in retrospectives it's not considered I guess one of his great movies um, you know definitely not in the same kind of League as Citizen Kane or the Ma- the Magnificent Ambersons or Touch of Evil, yeah. Yeah, but it's um uh, doing the research for this is actually the most popular movie he ever did, at least while he was alive. Like, you know, the Science Sound poll usually has Citizen Kane as the best movie ever made, but during his lifetime, he was seen as sort of like a, a starving artist or understood genius, where people realized he was gifted but it never translated to popularity or um, acceptance with most of his Hollywood peers and um, this movie was a box office smash when it came out and it's his own like um, the only movie he did that was like a, a big like did more than make back the initial costs let's say like it actually was a big hit when it first came out. Yeah, and, and the research that I had done, um, Citizen Kane, Magnificent Ambersons, he made under contract with RKO Pictures, and those were both financial flops. And from what I could gather is that he made this movie to kind of show that he could do something a bit more commercial. Um uh, you know, it's not. I guess it doesn't have the ambitions of those earlier movies that, which were failures. Um, I, yeah. I couldn't really find much in the way of, I guess, of box office numbers for this movie. But it, I did see a, a couple of comments saying that this was 
more successful than um, yeah than Citizen Kane or um, Ambersons. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that's also one of the reasons I thought it wasn't uh, Orson Welles' movie was that I was aware of this movie. Um, I had seen pictures from it around, um, and you know he was also a famous actor. Like he's famous for being in I don't know Man Fall Seasons and a bunch of other movies. In a way, he was more popular as an actor than a director, and he's probably most famous for you know his radio broadcast of War of the Worlds. So. The fact that I was aware that this movie was maybe not like the the best representation of film noir, but that it was like I was aware that it was relatively like well known, and I guess that's one of the reasons I'm like, oh well, must not be a Orson Welles directorial movie because people would hate it. At mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like what went through my head, but. Um, yeah, I did read. Um, I mean, this wasn't too much research. This this little bit, but it did say on Wikipedia that. Uh, his there's like some some critics who said that uh he was unable of making a like like a a movie that fits in like a like a program or afternoon show and so his his whole thing was to show that he if he wanted to could make a very good like or very good by their standards like hollywood Mm. film and it always, even though it is Orson Welles film, and there are some of his touches, it feels like any other film of that era, in a little, a little bit, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess from, uh, you know, I kind of, yeah, I, I didn't have any really expectations going into this movie. Um, I've only seen one other movie that he had directed, and that was Citizen Kane. And it's been at least ten years since I've seen Kane. So yeah. I, it'll be interesting as we get as we go through our discussion. Obviously, we're going to look at it from sort of the film noir standpoint, but it will it'll be interesting to hear kind of your thoughts as well because you, you're probably a bit more familiar with Orson Welles' work than I am, and kind of it'll be interesting to see how you know where you where you place this movie in terms of his other movies. Yeah. Okay. But, um, I yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I got it just a minute now. I I've seen. One of his short movies, and I've seen Citizen Kane multiple times, but I haven't even seen Touch of Evil, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, uh, part of that, though, I'm going to just blame others, but like the Criterion Collection has released some of his movies, but some are still haven't been released at all. And um, when I was really getting into, like, when I watched Orson Welles for the first time, I was in high school, and it was like a little bit, I don't know, I found it like hard to get a hold of those movies back then I mean you gotta keep in mind this is when DVDs were out but they were still really expensive so I wasn't really in a position to go oh Criterion Collection I want to buy your really expensive DVD and so I haven't I haven't seen yeah like I've seen movies where he's been in but I haven't really seen much of his movies which is sort of embarrassing um, because he did a lot of films a lot of also like Shakespeare movies so I really want to explore more of his stuff but um, so don't count on me to be able to do that. <laughs> that's all right. Yes, okay. <laughs> you have this. Yep. So, so, so yeah, Chris is not an expert on Orson Welles, as I, as I just, um, as I just announced. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be some interesting points. Um, so, do you want to maybe just give us a quick summary of the of the plot, and then we can get into the specifics? Okay. Through um, sort of harsh edits, we are in Europe, and we see that. There's the Allied War Crimes Commission, and they're talking about letting someone go 
we let we see this guy sneak around a boat and enter the United States, um, and I, we got to talk about this, but I was a little bit confused at the beginning as to what was happening. Um, he goes to, I believe it was Hartford, Connecticut, a little small town, and the whole reason he is, they let this Nazi war criminal go is they want to follow him to his commander, who is hiding in hiding in the United States. So he's in Hartford, Connecticut, which is a small college town. And um, we soon find out that Orson Welles is this escaped Nazi criminal, and that in a way he is one of the worst Nazis, but unlike, I guess, the other Nazis who wanted to be, or I guess, more narcissistic, he kept in the shadows. And so Edward G. Robinson is the member of the Allied War Commission who follows this Nazi let go to Hartford, Connecticut, and tries to find the Nazi war criminal. Um, Orson Welles is a like he'd only been there for a year, but he's already established as a professor and is about to get married. He kills his Nazi comrade, hides his body in the forest, gets married, goes on honeymoon, comes back, and. The rest of the movie is more or less Orson Welles trying to keep a secret with Edward G. Robinson, um, I guess, getting more clues until there's a showdown, almost like Vertigo style in a clock tower. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say it. I thought of Vertigo as well, but obviously Vertigo wasn't made until 1960. And this obviously this precedes that, so kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's. Uh, I'm sure there's like a, there must be other movies from back then. I mean, it cl- being up high is like an ominous mm. place, you know. Yeah. Like, especially back in the day, I think the audience would have been really in suspense with the fear of someone like falling. And to be honest, there's one scene in the movie we'll get to which I also felt suspense that had to do with heights, where I was like, <laughs> I was like clenching my pillow, <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's 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 it's great that a movie from 1946 can actually evoke that that feeling. So, yeah. But um, okay, well, like let's let's get into the beginning. Um, I don't. I mean, it's a pretty good plot. Yeah, summary, no, right? that, Where, uh, that is that is that is the that is the gist of it for sure. And like you, I was confused at the beginning of this movie for about five minutes as to exactly what was happening. Yeah. Because it's like a, they show a lot of people they never show again. Like, you go to the War Commission's office, all these guys are like, we gotta let them go. And then Edward G. Robinson's like, no. And then cut to, like, obvious Nazi commander, like, you are on a mission. You gotta go here. And then cut to guy being like, that man no longer exists. Where is he? You know, like, all this, like, stuff. It's like, wait, who? What? And then guy sneaking around a boatyard. And then it was just like, pfft. What? <laughs> and it, it kind of took me a while, like it, further into the movie, to realize what had happened a little bit. I don't, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I mean, I was like, oh man, who are these people? I went into the movie knowing it was about Nazi war criminals, so I was vaguely aware of what they were talking about. But the way it was shot and stuff, I was completely confused. And it wasn't until we were in Connecticut and I see this Nazi guy running around that I realized, oh, he's the guy they let go. I can see his face now. No one else except Edward G. Robinson is going to yes. be here. Yeah, I mean, I guess right from the get-go, the movie kind of evokes a film noir feeling because it's you know there are lots of shadows, it's a very dark atmosphere. Um, the the actor who plays 
Con- Con- Conrad Meineke, the guy that they let go from prison. Uh, his name's Constantine Shane. Very, very odd-looking um, fellow, <laughs> but probably a very fitting actor to play this role because you see him when he gets on the boat, or oh, no, when he gets off the boat, he's practicing this line that's something like, I'm traveling for my health, or I'm here for my health. Like, So, you know, like <laughs> something obviously shady is going on. Yeah, he's kind of like the... Uh you know, if it was a different studio, he would be the, like, Peter Lorre yes. character. <laughs> <laughs> like, the kind of, like, degenerate foreigner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, and the he's, he, he, he almost has the same kind of b- bulging eyes that Peter Lorre has. It's just funny. Yeah, he does. Um, I did think of Peter Lorre once or twice. The only shame is that this, uh, you know, Conrad, he he's not in the movie very long. He gets murdered right away. Um I'm sure back then you had studio contracts, so I'm sure Peter Lorre couldn't be there anyway. But he would have also been a little bit, um, a little bit wasted, mm, I guess. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's like you said, it's it's only when he arrives in Harper, Connecticut, that we kind of realize what is actually happening, because we also see Mr. Wilson, who's Edward G. Robinson, following him, and we realize, oh, okay, so. It was all a setup to find this mastermind of some war atrocities. Yes. Did I say uh, Hartford or Hartford? Uh, I think you said Hartford, but it is it's Harper, so it must be a, it's it must be a made up town. I'm I'm assuming. I don't okay. actually know yeah. to be honest. I'm not that. Um, I don't really know much about the the East yeah. Coast. Okay. But I mean, at the same time, it's Connecticut, yes. and with East Coast represents to the u.s in terms of colleges is sort of like the ivy league you know you have um you have harvard and yale and whatnot and so i think that's what this town is supposed to be whether it exists or not it's supposed to be sort of like a uh an ivy league well-to-do place like in a way on a almost on a pedestal you know what i mean like it even has like old americana like it has this church from the 1600s which in the u.s is really old so, um, or it was even before that, is when I say it. Anyway, it, it, you know, I guess the whole premise is it's, it's Connecticut. If it was like, oh, I'm at the U- University of Chicago or University of Texas, it wouldn't have had the, um, you know, the scare tactics that this movie's trying to employ with having not to war criminals in, you know, a wholesome USA. Yeah, it's, I think it, it, yeah, it, it's definitely effective having it having the setting being sort of this this liberal environment, and we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the speech that Charles Rankin, um, Orson Welles' character, makes during dinner um, soon. Where yeah, we'll, well, I mean that's quite a quite a good speech he makes, but we'll we'll get there anyway. We'll get there soon. So I don't know. Yeah, well, there's, there's actually a lot of scenes in this early section I want yeah. to talk about. Okay, so. Um, so yeah, so they, so Edward G. Robinson and Conrad Meineke both arrive in the town, and um, they sort of, I guess the the general store is where a lot of the sort of a lot of the scenes are set. So we're introduced to the owner of the store, which is quite a character. Yeah, he's kind of weird because uh, in this wholesome town where everyone is upstanding citizen, he's sort of like kind of scum, yeah. you know. 
<laughs> like he is this like big big fat balding guy which I'm not trying to be like oh he's scummy because he's fat but back then people weren't overweight like that like he's almost like a character actor and that he is fat and so it's like when he's there it's like oh wow what's this this big fat guy doing here and then he's like too lazy to serve customers if, if you know if that makes sense and then on top of that he challenges people to checkers and then he cheats you know like if you notice when he's playing with Edward G. Robinson he's moving the pieces around he goes oh look mm. at that and then when he looks over he'll switch the pieces and around he so. also puts he puts money on every game mm. yeah so he's sort of a um, the less the least wholesome aspect of this town that is like a part of the town because you know Orson Welles character is the stranger so he's not a part of it mm. so I found it a little bit weird because I don't know if it was supposed to be like, oh, he's a quirky guy, or if it's like this town isn't as wholesome as you yeah. think. Yeah, but. I think he's meant to be a quirky character because every time he starts playing checkers, he puts on his little cap and he kind of kind of <laughs> fiddles with his cap. You know, it's like, oh man, I'm I'm about to get serious with my checkers playing, and so I, I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't find him irritating as a character. I you know find him found him kind of interesting. I uh, would I don't know would you say that he's would you say that would you say he's inter- in- integral to the plot in any way Um sort of I guess he's like one of the few characters that doesn't fit in the town and that he's like working class mm-hmm. It seems like everyone else is like American aristocracy yes. a little bit like well-to-do families in big mansions with servants and or work in the university and he's like the one guy who is like anyone can relate to a little bit and he's also very similar in that like he's such a like a noir character like the guy who talks to you at the Mm -hmm. diner like we saw uh last time we talked with detour you know like he's in a diner at the beginning of detour and it's it's there's like that that sort of like atmosphere and it's recreated here in a place where there's not, there's probably not a 24-hour diner, you know? Yes. Well, all I guess I'm trying to say is it's bringing that urban aspect to this sort of, like, rural, I wouldn't say rural, but, like, small village, you know? Yeah. And I guess it also it also serves the purpose of introducing us, the audience, into into this town because we ex- we kind of see it through Edward G. Robinson's character when he's talking to to the store owner and you know he's like where you know what's a good place to stay and yeah and he gets a little bit of background on the town a little bit of history on the town yeah yeah um so yeah so i mean so that so both these characters arrive and then um it's well there's a chase yeah, Let's yeah, so the chase, chase happens okay well i loved this chase because it's complete daylight but I was watching it, and at first I'm like, oh, man, is this even a film noir? Like, the opening was dark. But then when he starts running, the way the shadows of the trees and architecture kind of, like, go on um, the characters is, like, evocative of, like, a film noir and running, like, having a night chase. It's almost like the opposite. Instead of having all darkness with, like, a little bit of light, it's all light with, like, shadows across their faces. And, um... I, I thought it was really interesting how they enter the gym and it's like this creepy all in shadows place in the middle of the day. And, um, 
at this point, it's like, okay, yeah, this is definitely going to be a film noir movie. Like, this is, like, it's a gym in a small college town, but this could be, like, the seedy docks where the criminals hang out. You know, like, that's the way it's being shot right now. Um, and I felt like uh, there's this one section, there's this one area where, um, sorry, there's one part where um, you're following Edward G. Robinson, and he's smoking his cigar and again it's like out of the past or any of these other noir movies where it's just like the smoke is so visible i don't know if you if you notice that it's like it's filling up the entire area around him and it was just like you know transforming daylight and a small town america into like crime-filled urbanscape and i thought that was really awesome yeah you don't you um know? yeah i mean i think i think it, Mr. Wilson is—he's one of the few guys in the movie that actually smokes. We are, there's one scene where we see the where we see the wife smoking, but it's no one. Yeah, no one else really seems to smoke. It's very wholesome. And, yeah. There's also uh, a shot of the um, the rings in the gym with yes. the high rings, and the way they're shot, it reminded me of like gallows. And I think that was intentional. Well, yeah. Well, when he like, when when Conrad when he grabs one of the rings and you know he's going to throw it onto Mr. Wilson, I at first I thought it was like a gallows something. He's like I thought he was like actually going to going to hang him, and I was like, oh, okay, wow. um, I'm pretty sure Edward G. Robinson's not going to die at the beginning of the movie because he's one of the stars. But it was yeah. there, there was actually a bit of, a bit of suspense there for me. I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. Okay, cool. Then it wasn't just me that it was like, oh wow, like it evoked a hangman's noose the way it was shot. Yeah, although uh-huh. saying that it it would have been a pretty amazing, you know, if he had managed to actually throw that around his neck from that distance, it would have been it would have been pretty amazing. You'd be like, wow, he's like l- almost lassoing him like a like a cowboy. So. Oh no, I don't mean that he was yeah. trying that he was going to yeah. hang him. That's not why. I, I merely knew there were um, gymnastic rings. It's just that the way they're shot makes this very like wholesome object very sinister and it evokes you know the nazi regime which is what you know who, who, who conrad is he's like a representation of it and i felt like a lot of scenes with conrad um they make it so he's sort of like poisoning where he is or sticking out mm-hmm. if that makes sense so i feel like because he's in the gym these go from rings to to hangman's noose the yes. way they're shot or like where when he runs to the um then the next scene he he keeps running and he goes to the house where um uh you know where orson wells is uh is living and the house is really bright you got the like cheery 1950 well i guess 1940s wife and conrad is sitting in the room waiting for him and he's like wearing all dark and he's sort of cast in shadow and he kind of looks completely out of place like this evil you know like this sort of like shadow also kind of like looks like an ss man Mm. in this bright area sort of like he doesn't belong you know it was one of my favorite shots actually of the movie was him sitting in the living room yeah, I mean there are a lot of effective um, shots in the movie. Um, I I don't know if I could single any one out as my favorite, but I'm sure we'll 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 be mentioning quite a few as we go along. Um, so so he, yeah, he waits at the house, but not for very long. He seems like he's obviously seeming to be quite nervous, and then he asks 
he asks Mary, who's the the well, the soon to be wife, where Charles Rankin is, and she's like, oh, you know, he's in that building over there, or that's where he will he'll be coming from, and mm-hmm. and, th- and then this is, and am I correct in saying that this is the first? It's not the first scene where we see him. There's a, a short scene with him and some of the schoolboys before we actually have the meeting between Rankin and Conrad. No, it's actually right, right after. after. Okay. He meets He meets him, he goes, meet me in the forest. And then Conrad runs off and the boys are like, hey, we're going to the forest. And he goes, uh-oh, the mm. forest. And then they're having their meeting there. And I felt like it's sort of the way it's shot continues like they're in this bright forest with sort of like gaiety mm. you know you have like these young boys like one boy's running and skipping and throwing paper yeah, they, they call it, the they call it a, like, a paper chase which is something that i've i've heard of before but i'd never actually like was was this a thing back in the day i mean it has <laughs> yeah. to be because like it's even with like, oh, we're doing a paper chase. And I was like, what, what does yeah. that mean? And then I'm watching. I'm like, this is weird. This must, if, if it's so prominent, it must have been something people did. Yeah. Which made me feel like weird too, because it's like the era of World War Two and all these like atrocities. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's sort of like, I don't know. I don't know. And today, like you know, if you were to put that on today's TV, it would be like labeled as homoerotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, I don't know. Um. But when both Nazis, you know, both Charles and Conrad are in the forest, they're always in shadow and kind of like dark figures, even though, well, I think Conrad's wearing black, but they stick out like sore thumbs, kind of like, I don't know, to kind of show maybe that they're like they're sinister inherently or something like that. Before you actually get a good taste of who they are, and I, I, I do like this, 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 this scene and and the dialogue between them because Conrad is saying things to him like, "I'm here on, you know, from like from from the highest command or something along those lines," and you can see that Or- Orson Welles is like, "So did you know, like, did Hitler send you or something?" But then he realizes that this guy's actually talking about God because he's become like a religious fanatic. Yeah. I thought, I thought Orson Welles' acting in the scene was really interesting, too. He just has, like, a casual, like, intelligence mm. about him. It's like, mm-hmm. Doing it for this, yeah. uh-huh. Like, it's just really um, matter-of-fact, especially in comparison to Conrad's, like, almost, like, zealous, almost yelling, like, overacting a little yeah. bit. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, Orson Welles is, you know, I guess... I haven't seen him in, in, in many roles, but he does. He does. There is a, like an intelligence that comes across, and you can see him already deciding as he's having this conversation. Every time he's like, "Uh huh, uh huh," you can kind of see him already deciding that he's basically going to kill Conrad. Um, yeah, which is a it's good. It's, it's a pretty well played scene, and then obviously you know, Conrad is like, oh, you know, let's let's kneel together and, and pray, you know, brother, I found you, and it's, you know, God is great, and then and then um, Charles Rankin basically strangles him in the forest. Yeah, I um, yeah, it was pretty it's pretty intense. Mm. Like just strangled him, and I don't know, like. Uh, well, I mean, the guy had to go. Like, he was being such an yep. idiot. Like, he's, like, the worst... He did the worst job of, like, secretly immigrating to the United yes. States. Like, what's mm. he doing? <laughs> like, he had to go. 
Like, <laughs> and his his accent stands out. His his accents are obvious. That yeah, if, I mean, if if he had lived longer, I think yeah, the movie would have been over sooner as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was pretty like an easy trap. So um, he had to go. Though I don't know if it's commentary on. Germans, though, that he strangles him during prayer. Mm. Because in the later speech, he mentions basically that, like, um, he said something around the lines of, like, Germans don't answer to God, they answer to, like, the God of War yes, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, so and well, like, um, and that's, that, 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 that's obviously, that's a key scene in the movie, or it's a key piece of dialogue, so we'll, um... We'll yeah. get to that, but I was wondering, too, that, like, the way he chooses to kill him, is it supposed to be, like, an early indication that not only... Not because he killed a man and it's bad, but like that. Oh, not only is he a bad person, but he's like amoral or doesn't have like Christian mm. values or something like. Like, is that trying to be communicated by killing him? Yeah, the that, is? That, that, it could well be. I mean, um, I guess the, uh, the other aspect is that he. I don't know how many ways that he. There's probably not that many ways that he could have killed him in the forest. Is either strangling him or hitting him and hitting him on the head with a rock. Mm. It's pretty intense, yeah. though, because like right after this, he buries a body and goes to his own wedding. Yes, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it is like the. I feel like the early parts of this movie is almost. It's almost like there is there there are these comedic elements mixed in with, almost like a. It's like a a comedy and a horror movie combined, almost. Um, I was struggling to kind of get a feel for the tone of this movie, and it isn't—it isn't really until the final act of the movie where it, where the where the film noir and the psychological sort of thriller aspect really kicks in. But in these early mm-hmm. scenes, especially like when when we first see Orson Welles, he's walking sort of along this footpath, and then Conrad is like, Franz. Kindler, and you can see Orson Welles. He just suddenly stops, and his eyes—I just love the expression on his face. It's—it's it's this, oh my god, what the fuck is he doing here? Kind of expression, which is which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I didn't find it like silly. I mean, I, I've had a friend watch this movie. Uh, he watched it a couple of years ago and told me it was like mm. goofy. And so I went in expecting that, and, and while there were some goofy parts, I didn't feel like it was, um, it, it, I don't feel like it took itself silly. Like, I feel like it took itself with the utmost seriousness, almost to like, yeah, we'll get into mm. it more, but it's just like, this is supposed to scare us to no end. I mean, this is 1946, so it hasn't even been like, it's been at most a year since the war ended, and the idea that like, there's Nazis living in the U.S. and there's also like Nazi sleeper cells and secret cult meetings and stuff. Like this is supposed to be kind of mm. scary, and so I feel like the movie does kind of treat it like, yeah, this is fiction right here, but like you need to be careful because we could have like World War Three, and so it's I don't know, it's really um, yeah. yeah. I, 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 wouldn't, kind of, I wouldn't describe it as as the tone as being goofy at all. It's more just I think the movie isn't quite the the tone of the movie isn't quite established in these early scenes, but it definitely treats the the material and the idea seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he kills Conrad, buries the body. It seems that he does a 
doesn't do that great a job of actually covering up the body. I was thinking the yeah. same thing. I was like, wow. It's like, doing? okay, well, it'll, you'll, it'll, be like, it'll be like a day before someone discovers the body. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets married, and uh, during the after party, he sneaks off to bury the body. I thought this was badass because there's like this insane, like, really awesome music. And it's like, oh, what's Orson Welles doing? It's like, oh, he's burying a body, like, during his own wedding. Like, I was, I was like, man, what a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, I, I forgot that he only buries the body after the wedding, not before. And that, um, and yeah, and you mentioned the music, which was by Bronislaw Kuyper. And um, and some of the research I'd done, I, I'd read, I think I'd read a review where someone was, was praising the... The, the score for this movie has been really effective and and I do really like the music in this movie yeah I, I like it too um, but yeah during these opening scenes too it's very like pronounced and I, I, I really I liked it more during this part um, as we'll maybe get into uh, like my notes kind of trail off after a while because I feel like there's a really strong like Build up and then sort of a letting the plot work itself out till the movie's yes. over. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I feel like the music is used really to highlight like murder and then burying the body and stuff like that during his opening scenes. Where later it's like, I'm sure it was there, but I don't remember it as, as vividly. Yeah. So uh, they, so yeah, so he goes and buries the body, goes comes back to his wedding, and this is is this a scene where he first where he first meets. Mr. Wilson, or does it happen a little bit later? No, it happens later. What happens is uh, there's the wedding, and he buries the body and stuff. It comes back to the after party, and then they go on honeymoon. Yes. Sometime during this part, Mr. Wilson wakes up on the floor of the gym. Oh, yes. Yep. And he like stumbles back to the diner with a huge bump on his head and gets like aspirin. And uh, Actually, no, it's during this part that the wedding's happening. It goes, oh, what's happening across the street? It's like, oh, someone's mm. getting married. And it's not till later that night where um, he has like a, a list of everyone who's moved to the town in the past like 12 months. And, you know, Charles is on that list. He's crossing them off. And he asks the next day, I think, you know, at the at the general store about Charles. He's like, oh, he's on his honeymoon, but he'll be back in a week for like final exams or something like that. So he just waits around till he comes back. Yes. Okay. Great. And then you have Mr. Wilson... Um, you know, get into uh, Mary's father's place, who is what a Supreme Court yes. justice, and uh, on the prelude of being there for like an antique show, and that's where we have the uh, the dinner conversation. Yeah, okay, so that's when he that's when he first meets Charles Rankin and his wife, and yeah, yeah, and so then this dinner conversation happens. Um. Uh, yeah, I guess it. Uh, what what sort of what stuck out for me is obviously Charles Rankin is trying to, you know, he's trying to distance himself, or he's trying to obviously not appear like he's a like he's a Nazi sympathizer in any way, 
because he's kind mm-hmm. of because he's trying to explain how the the German psyche works to Mr. Wilson, and I I'd have to read the, this entire speech to kind of remember the details. But it you you'd mentioned it earlier when you talked about how you know the 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 German is like marching to the sound of Wagnerian um, you know music or whatever, and 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 he's not and and his god is is the god of war and and so it's 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 an interesting speech but for me the key moment and i guess something that mr wilson realizes a little bit later is when he says um something about karl marx having not been a german but he was a jew yeah i uh, when he said mm. that during the movie i actually went oh <laughs> like how yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not only was it like incredibly anti-semitic yes. in a nazi sense where it's like oh because um you know, Karl Marx was like technically an atheist. He was like a German Jew, but religiously an atheist. So only like a Nazi would make him like ethnic like that. And so he went, oh, because it was just such a like casual anti-Semitism. But I also realized it was like his his mm. tell, you know. And I was like, oh, I was like that game away. I wonder if that's going to come up later, and it does. And I was like, oh wow, that was that was really cool. It was like a, uh, you know, like. <laughs> kind of like that scene that's referenced in uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. You know, it's just sort of like he has a small tell. I think in today's audience, you pick up on the anti-Semitism more, but I think if you were in the '40s, you would have been <laughs> maybe a little bit more like, "Oh yeah, he's a Jew. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a big deal about saying yeah, that." Yeah, it's um, like yeah, it's it, obviously that's that's the tell. Um, I think the only thing that's a little implausible for me is that Edward G. Robinson didn't pick up on it straight away um i would have i would have thought that someone of his intelligence he kind of would have like he kind of would have been aware of that straight away but i guess they had to show they had to show this the scene where he like wakes up in bed and and it's sort of something that hits him probably in his sleep that that you know this is the guy because of that comment maybe they did it more for effect than anything else i i don't know i think the thing we pick up about um, Charles is that he's really intelligent. You know, like there's a point later in the movie where he casually beats the shop owner at checkers without even yes. trying. And I think that's the thing is it's supposed to be a duel of the mm. mind. You know, Edward Robinson's really smart, but gets his butt kicked in checkers and Charles like just casually just mm. wins. And I think like he he's there Edward G. Robinson's there. Uh, Mr. Wilson, I mean, is there, and he says under his false pretext, and he he somehow mentions, um, you know, the little uh, uh, Conrad, and so or when he arrived, and you know, Orson Welles immediately picks up that okay, this is the guy who was following Conrad, and so that's why he does the speech. Speech, and when he first starts talking, uh, Charles is really nervous. And you have Mr. Wilson giving a look like, oh, this is the guy. But then he has sort of like a sympathetic look as the speech goes on. And um, I don't remember how the movie necessarily began, but I believe Mr. Wilson gave also a, a hard, you know, like a impassioned speech when they were talking about letting, um, you know, Conrad go from jail when he's at the war crimes office. I feel like it's supposed to be that. These are these views are relatively extreme against Germany. That not even a, the normal Americans at the table will agree with it. But because, um, Rom, you know, like 
Mr. Wilson deals with it, he's sort of like, he's won over. So I think it's supposed to be like he's seduced by thought a little bit. Like he's a little bit like, oh, yeah, this guy's speaking my mm-hmm. language. It's not till later that he thinks about it again and gets it. I don't know. It felt natural okay. to me, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I guess it's maybe maybe if viewing it from a like from a modern from a modern context, or if it was a more if it was a more recent movie, um, maybe um, if someone had expressed that view, which is which which was quite extreme, that I, I just think maybe they would have picked up on it straight away. I I feel like I don't know. It's kind of a little bit difficult watching this scene too because I have a lot of friends from Germany and I've. Had some German ex-girlfriends. Like, it's so harsh, but of the time. And apparently, um, parts of the speech were excerpts of a article Orson Welles wrote for Life magazine, talking about how basically they need to break apart. You know, like they shouldn't try to reform Germany because they're like an evil people and stuff like that. And it seems intense now, but both Winston Churchill and FDR thought the same mm. thing. Like. Um, you know, when after the you know when the Allies are making plans for occupying Germany, you know uh, FDR the command's like, okay, well, how are we gonna get food to Germans? And FDR's like, oh, just let them starve. <laughs> and Churchill's like, oh, you know, like it's Churchill's like, oh, we should you know try and annihilate them as many as possible, like with the bombing. And uh, there's one joke they had. They said at one of the conferences, like, oh, maybe after the war we'll castrate all the Germans so they don't. They can't have any more children who want to like create more mm, wars and stuff yeah. like that. So it sounds joking, but there was a um, you know um, a popular anti like even though World War Two was born from racism, there's just sort of the world. I hate the term reverse racism, but sort of like oh well, like Germans are genetically dispositioned to be like hateful mm. killers, so we have to we have to like wipe them out and. Um, you know, that sort of mentality, also revenge is, like, causing a lot of ethnic cleansing in Eastern Europe right now of, like, the German minorities. So it's a very, uh, like, harsh thing, I guess. And I thought it was really crazy, too, that, I guess, Orson Welles had written about this, but also that um, he's, he had to kind of force the studio to put footage of concentration camps in there which we'll see mm. later but in, apparently it's the first Hollywood movie that has uh, footage of concentration camps but like it seems like Orson Welles is both like inf- perversely infatuated with fascism and Nazism but also like disgusted by Nazis in Germany and like kind of like I don't know like he had both both ends of it a little bit yes. you know yeah mm-hmm Sorry, I just kind of went on a little rant. No, there, no, no. But, uh, it's, just, just, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting viewing the movie because I mean it was it was released in 1946, so it was made pretty much straight after the the war ended, and some of these, a lot of these trials and like the hunt for Nazis would would still have been ongoing. So I'm kind of I'm kind of fascinated that you know that that this movie was made in the time that it was made because it was was very. Like it was very timely in that sense. It wasn't like there had been ten or fifteen ye- years that had elapsed, and then they had made it, this this story or they they told the story. Yeah. But I mean, it's also kind of messed up too because it, it kind of plays on the World War Two propaganda a little bit. Like I haven't seen many 
that I can cite, but I know one's, I think, the 42nd Parallel, and there's one, there's later movies after this period that use it, like, where Eagle's there, but the whole idea of, like, during World War II, like, a lot of Hollywood movies had the, the, the plot of there are Nazis here now, or they're sneaking around. And so it kind of continues that propaganda being like the war's over, but they're still sneaking around just waiting for like their next command. You know, it's a little bit um, kind of piggybacks on the movies that just came out from the, you know, from 1942 to 1945. So like I found that interesting. And it also exaggerates a lot of stuff, too, which I thought was really interesting, like in Orson Welles' personal hatred of. Germans, you kind of like a, create a lot of crazy stuff. Not so much the uh, Nazis hiding out in places as we saw that happen in real life, but like in that same conversation, they talk about how like they're finding like underground, like you know, like German camps where they're having like pagan ceremonies and stuff like that. It's just like yeah, that 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 didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's just like you can't stop the German. They're like pagan worshipping like mass murderers you know just like I don't know <laughs> it's like it's like history is worth enough you know what I'm yeah talking? exaggerated mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> yeah alright so yeah so we have the so we have that 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 really good sort of um, speech that he does on, the, on that whole dinner scene and then and then is it after is it a, a little bit after the dinner scene where he takes the dog for a walk yeah, okay, here's the thing. I understand the, the need to use the dog as in, like, a alibi or reason to walk to the forest to check on the yes. body. Why would you take a dog to a body? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I'm watching it, and he's like, no, dog, get away from it. I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> why? Because, I, and I was like, I'm like, well, how's it, this, this is how he gives himself up. Either the dog's going to mm. dig it up. Or his wife's going to be walking with the dog and the dog's going to go here. But, like, why would you do this on purpose? And it was just a little bit like, mm. I don't know. You see, like, this is going to be, like, at the beginning of his downfall. Yeah, I mean, I that, that, that's that's pretty much the, the same. I, I had that same thought immediately when he takes the dog for a walk, but then he goes to check on the body. And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? You've got, you've got a, a dying or you've got a, a, a rotting corpse there on the ground, of course the dog's just going to start digging it up, and now you have to kill the dog as well. So he's, he, he kind of creates this, he just he basically creates this downward spiral for himself. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, it's not even like this one moment, like the rest of the movie is him messing himself up, which I found a little bit boring, to be honest. Like, I liked... I liked Mr. Wilson catching the anti-Semitism in his mm. speech, but the rest of the movie is a lot of him just being like, um, oh, God, like, I got to kill the dog now. Oh, God, my wife, I got to kill my wife yes. now. <laughs> oh, God, I got to kill this other person now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, chill out. Oh, my God, I've got, I've got, I've got to kill the whole town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, but, yeah, this is one of my three favorite uh, scenes though or shots is when he returns with the dog because you don't know if he killed the dog or not but he comes into the bedroom and it's actually like I'd have to rewatch it but it seems like it's shot for shot taken from the German expressionist movie Nosferatu when he comes into um, 
the woman's bedroom yes. at the end because you see his silhouette come in and then he grasps her heart in Nosferatu and he almost does the same thing like you see him come in in like the same silhouette and you see the hand come up on her face and like kind of like grasp mm. it and it's like oh wow not only is this shot amazingly but it's like a, this has to be a callback to that movie which I thought was interesting because it's like not even five five minutes ago was Orson Welles personally ranting against how much he hates German mm. people so that he's referencing this this German movie, but I really love that whole that whole scene and how creepy it was shot. And when he's talking to his wife, it's like Orson Welles almost looks like a drawing. He's so in shadow, you know, like you just see like the outline of his face. I, I, I don't know. I really, I really love. Yeah, you scene. only see him like you see you, you kind of see only sort of you see the the wife sort of from over the back of his shoulder, and and then it kind of cuts to his face every now and again, but it's mainly him kind of towering over his wife and and obviously he scares her a little bit when she wakes up and then he gives her a cigarette and 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 that's when we we hear the dog is locked in the cellar and it's yeah. she's like oh i don't believe in treating dogs like prisoners and he's like oh no please mary um you know this is the way i wanted and 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 it's kind of I guess, like as we just alluded to, it's kind of the point in the movie where, where he really, he, he, like he starts losing it, and um, yeah. I, I think it also shows his Nazi nature yeah. too, because it's like she's like, oh, I don't believe in keeping animals like prisoners, but he's like really in the scene, he's like a real control mm. freak, and in a way, he almost sets it up like, yeah, you're my wife, so you're my prisoner, so do what yeah. I say. And in a way, it's almost like she has Stockholm syndrome for the rest of the movie. You know what I mean? Like he's almost like she refuses to turn on him, even though there's scenes like this where he's like, yes, like, and then later I was like, I killed the dog. You know, he's just kind of like, look, I'm in control. I'm the man. And what I say goes, you're going to have to deal with it. And I don't know. The, the change in relationship was like, wow, the way he's talking to her, he's putting her down like someone in one of these like concentration camps yeah. almost and i guess this is this is sort of the, this is where the movie kind of moves into the psychological thriller territory for me because it plays a little bit on that film noir convention of the femme fatale having an influence over the you know over the kind of man usually in a movie but in this movie it's it's the it's the husband kind of manipulating the wife and you don't yeah. so you know you don't really you don't really have that femme fatale character in the movie but Charles Rankin is kind of I guess he's kind of a film noir the a film noir not protagonist but like the main character in the sense that he's his past is catching up with him and and yeah. the more he tries to escape it or try and rectify the situation it, 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 he just gets deeper and deeper into like the quicksand mm-hmm. so I guess I, I guess that it was interesting for me to see those kind of film noir conventions play out in the movie that way because um, most film noirs I've seen have, I've, I guess they've, 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 they've had more traditional storylines of you know you've got either like a private detective or a guy who's basically good but he's also a bit weak and then you know, he gets manipulated by a femme fatale, and 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 that's how his downfall happens. And this movie, this movie puts it, a slightly different twist on that story. No, um, I see what you're saying. It's almost like double indemnity yeah. with 
And it's like in both movies, Edward G. Robertson's playing the same character, and uh, Orson Welles is Barbara yes. Stanwyck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, and that's um, no, not, and that yeah, and 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 I, I mean, when I saw Edward G. Robinson in this movie, I immediately thought of his his character. Um, I think it's Barton Keys in Double Indemnity. Very, very much the same character, although I think. And and double indemnity. It's it's a more memorable character. He, he he's, his intelligence seems to be a bit a bit sharper in that movie. Um, and this movie, it's sort of a variation on that character. Still really effective, just not quite on the same level, I'd say. Yeah, because for this like middle part or maybe like third act, he sort of just. Um he sort of drops out. I mean, you get some small scenes where he's like talking to mm-hmm. Noah, uh, Mary's brother, but he sort of stops an investigation. And this part is all about um, Charles and his wife's relationship, and then Charles incriminating mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. What did you What did you think of the story that Charles makes up? Because he tells her that Conrad was the brother of a woman that he used to. To, 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 to date and then she accidentally drowned and that's and that's yeah, and, that, and, and it's and he makes it sound like the brother was blackmailing him or something yeah it was that he was dating this crazy girl in, in mm. Switzerland and that like um, she was like if you don't stay with me I'll kill myself and he thought she was bluffing so she killed herself and so the brother Realized she was crazy, but then used the opportunity to blackmail him. And that's why he fled Europe. That's kind of why he makes up. And um, I guess what disappointed me about it is it doesn't even last like one scene. It's like in the very next scene, it goes, oh, yeah, well, then I had to kill the brother too. And it's mm. just like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess he's kind of, maybe he's trying to preempt the situation getting worse by just saying, well, you know. I had to kill him because he wasn't going to stop, and and I had to kill the dog because the dog would have dug up the body. So I, I kind of found that interesting that he was so upfront about it. Where in most movies, he would, you know, a per, that character would come up with some elaborate storyline, um, and you know, actually that that deviates a lot from the truth. But this story doesn't actually deviate that much from what's actually going on. Mm. It's true. But, um, yeah, so she's in denial for a while and sticking up mm. for him. And, um, they have, uh, what is it? They, oh, yeah, she, uh, she, Mr. Wilson and Mary's father confront her about his past in, uh, at the, you know, Mary's father's place. And they watch, uh, not too. A little bit graphic, but not that graphic. Films of um, of concentration camp footage, and Mr. Wilson explains who um, Charles yeah. is. He's 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 Herr Kindler, and that blah 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 blah. It's really uh, yeah. What did you think of this scene? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I found I did find the footage quite effective. I did, even though you know we've seen a lot worse. Um, in terms of Holocaust movies over the years, but uh, you know, when we see that footage, it, it did kind of actually it it's, it still s- struck me as 
you know, not I wasn't disturbed by it, but I thought, you know, wow, you know, they're actually showing this footage, and like you mentioned, it was the first time they'd actually shown actual footage in a Hollywood movie from the concentration camps. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess this is, and it's a scene where she is obviously she's really starting to to put up a fight for her husband, like she's denying everything, but Mr. Wilson says that her subconscious probably knows the truth and 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 it's fighting to come out and and he's saying well we have to keep an eye on her at all times and yeah it's um yeah i mean i don't have i guess i don't have any specific thoughts on the scene it kind of does what it has to do um and to kind of get to set the last act in motion hmm. well there's like some stuff I, I i thought was interesting like um there's like a shot of so they're projecting the movie onto the like, like a yeah. canvas. But there's a the light illuminating from that illuminating on Mary's oh, yes. face, which I thought was interesting. Almost like it's the truth is like being illuminated mm-hmm. on her was transferred in that shot. And um, I also thought it was interesting because again, like before, the truth of World War Two is like elaborate, elaborate upon. You know, like oh. They give the prisoners warm showers to open their pores. It makes the poison much more effective. It's like, uh, well, really, it was like poison or showers. And like, but then it goes into this next theory, which is one that Orson Welles in real life actually had was that like Germany, um, German World War II depopulated its the countries it conquered so that even if it lost the war, it would still be the more, most powerful mm. country. And you see that not just killing like, you know, Jewish people, but like near the end of the war, there's like random massacres in the East, uh, especially Poland, a lot in France. And so there's like a sort of like a madness of like massacres happening in all these different countries. And uh, I thought it was interesting because it's like, while I never learned that in history class because it's not necessary, it was like the reasons were, were different. It's sort of weird looking back on it today where like Germany is the most populous country in Europe and it does have the biggest economy. It's like exactly like what he says Kindler was trying to do. It's like, oh, well, after the war, it'll have the most people in the biggest economy and it'll it'll still be able to like rule its neighbors and now you have like the Euro (laughs) (laughs) and Germany like most populous country with the most like the biggest economy ruling its neighbors. I don't know. It was a little bit like well, it's made up and I was like thinking about it it's like, wow, that kind of happened now at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) If, if that yeah, yeah no, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and so, and I guess this is also the scene in the movie where we kind of start to see Mr. Wilson being again being a bit more active in the investigation. Or it's really just from this point onwards, it's like him. Is he just waiting for, you know, Kindler to make a move, or is he still trying to gather evidence to catch him? Yeah, I think he is. Um, I mean, he doesn't have enough evidence, I think, to convict yeah. him. And even if he did, he can convict him for murder, but not that he's Kindler. So he's sort of just waiting for him at that point to just kill. Oh him. yeah, true, because he actually like, does have a he does have a conversation with the dad about that Kindler might try and murder his wife. So they're kind of using her as the. As, as 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 a pawn or as like as the bait almost. Mm. Yeah, I mean she starts acting a little crazy, but he jumps to killing her way too fast. Like she's being pretty loyal given the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, she's upset because she's just told she's like married to and sleeping with one of the greatest Nazi war criminals. But at the same time, it's like she's being a trooper mm. and uh, he immediately starts trying to kill her. Like, uh, you know, Mr. Wilson actually foils one, I felt like, because, you know, um, Charles goes to the pharmacy slash general store and buys like sleeping pills. And these guy's like, oh, I don't believe in sleeping pills. And he's like, oh, they're for my wife. Mm. Okay, where's the ice cream? And it's like, oh, Mr. Wilson picked up already. And he's like, damn mm. it. And I think what he was going to do was he was going to like give his wife a thing of ice cream with all the sleeping pills in it and like kill her that way. Yeah, I actually, I, I actually missed that. Like I did, I, I've obviously I thought the same thing when he picks up the sleeping pills and I was like, oh, okay, so he's just going to give her a massive dose somehow. But I didn't make the connection that when Mr. Wilson takes over the ice cream that he kind of in, in, inadvertently foiled that attempt. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was um, pretty interesting, but I thought it was, you know, jumping to conclusions pretty fast. But um, the way he is going to kill her is, we haven't mentioned this at all, but uh, Charles and Kindler, and when he was back in Germany, had an obsession with clock yes. towers. And so in his spare time, Charles is trying to fix this old clock that hasn't worked in a long time. And so he's going to saw the ladder like the steps of the ladder so when his wife comes to visit she'll fall down and this is um, my favorite shot of the movie I think is he's like whistling and sawing the ladder and it kind of zooms away so you're like at the first floor in darkness and you just see this dark ladder going up towards the light with him whistling at the top it was like really mm, creepy yeah and cool I was I, I was it. surprised at how tall that ladder actually was because when you first see the ladder <laughs> you're like oh okay so it's maybe it's just like you know, like it's it's like a few feet long, but then you see him, yeah, pull up the ladder, and you're like, holy shit, that's like actually, um, that's pretty tall. So it's 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 very, it's very it's a very effective scene. It kind of and it kind of creates that almost creates that kind of vertigo effect when you see it. Yeah, definitely because you're like, oh, it's just mm. a ladder. Is anyone going to die from that? And then I didn't realize it was so high up either. And then when it like pulls away, it's like, oh wow, like that's creepily. Hi, you know. Um, but yeah, so the next day, uh, he calls his wife while drawing a swastika. Yeah, that was that was awesome, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, he's actually drawing a swastika. It's like, yep, it's like, yep, I'm still I'm still a Nazi all the way. <laughs> <laughs> he tells his wife to meet him at the clock tower. Um, since Mr. Wilson told the maid not to let her out of her sight, her she fakes a heart attack and sends her younger brother Noah mm. to go. And so this is the scene where I was clutching my pillows when Mr. Wilson's climbing the ladder. Because the way it's shot's like climbing this ladder, going up slow. Mm. It's just like, oh my god, when is he gonna get the when's he gonna hit yeah. the foot the thing? You know? It was a little bit like actually kinda lame when it happens, like duh and he's just kinda hanging there. But uh, it kind of messed because I have a little bit of a fear of heights, so it's kind of like, oh wow, like so he got further up this in massively tall ladder, which is like, oh, like I had to like. Mm. Yeah, I guess I wasn't too worried that Mr. Wilson was actually going to die, even though this movie has a lot of film noir elements in it. It's usually more, you know, it's it's the criminal that always gets like his comeuppance in the movie, and. 
you know, Edward G. Robinson's character is very is very noble. He's a very good character, and he's not, you know, he's not corruptible or anything like that. So I thought, okay, obviously he's probably gonna almost fall, but he'll still hang on. Um, but but it was still yeah. it was still a suspenseful scene. And the other way they could have played it is that they could have had Noah, the 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 brother of the wife, actually go up first, um, which yes. would have also been quite effective. Yeah, I didn't think uh, Edward G. Robinson was going to mm-hmm. die. It was just suspenseful in its yeah. nature. And I did have a feeling that maybe, like, you see maybe Mr. Wilson, like, skip a step or is doing something and then no yes. would fall down. Yeah. And that would turn Mary against mm-hmm. him or something like that. But, yeah, that, it still was a suspenseful scene, even though nothing really happened. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, you know, Charles reveals to his wife, like, oh, he comes home, he's like, why are yeah. you lying? <laughs> and I love the look on his face. He has this, like, Orson Welles surprised look on his face, kind of like when he when he first meets Conrad in the forest. It's just like his eyes get a bit bigger and his his face just has this set expression. It, it's almost, it's not it's not comical, but it's almost comical, just in the way it's like, oh, fuck, the wife's still alive. <laughs> it's just, Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that was interesting how like angry he got. Not just that he's a, mm. she's alive, but she's like, you said Noah. He's like, damn mm. it. He's like, this blood's on your hands. Like he was really angry that like it was like Noah was worth something, but his wife was worthless. Yeah, I mean maybe yeah, life. maybe he has like a, a real affection for Noah. And Noah is sort of you know is quite a clean cut kind of character. He's very wholesome, so maybe he just really likes Noah. Whereas his wife is just like, yeah, I mean I just need you for I don't know, you know, for the for the for the marriage and. Not much else, really. I thought it was interesting, though, because it's actually a little bit earlier when... So, he's, he has this, like, set schedule. Okay, there's a lot... Okay, I have to go into this, because there's a lot of um, things in the movie being like, ooh, Germans are mm-hmm. evil, because it's like he's going to kill his wife instead of just doing it. He has, like, a very punctual, like, German schedule yes. about how he's going to mm-hmm. do it. And then he teaches his class, and he's like, oh, we're going over this, this, and this. It's, like, all unrelated stuff, except they're mm-hmm. all German. And I think it's supposed to be, like, you know, you're supposed to be outraged if you're the American audience. Like, oh, man, this is Nazi, like, subverting our youth by teaching them yeah. Yeah, <laughs> stuff about mm-hmm. Germans, you know, like. He's like, oh, he's corrupting the youth. And then, um, yeah, he just – he did a lot of stuff too where it was like he burned the evidence and then wins the checkers game and still gets home right on time. Like he looks at the clock and he realizes he has to win now mm. and leave. Like he can't – he can't let his wife die and get home late. He has to still get home at – by four. he has to leave at 4 and get home at 4 yeah, or 5. I, I I yeah I, I understood him making the schedule and in, in, in the sense of establishing his alibis for all those time periods. I guess the only one that doesn't make sense is the very last step where where he ha- he has to be home at a certain time. Because if his yeah. wife actually died, she would have just been lying in the clock tower dead. So. But 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 yeah. I mean I, it was but, interesting that they took they took the time to show him actually making a schedule, so the store owner sees him and those two ladies that walk in, um, sees him and it's funny how he actually he confirms the time with them as well, almost yes. as if to explain it to the audience like why he's doing it. Well, it's it's the Korean yeah. alibi, but I also thought like. It's not seen as weird, and I think it's supposed to be like he's very German and that he's always yes. on time. But it's like, oh, but how can this be that you're here no, early? It's, 
because you only come in at this time, and I'm usually home at this time. And I know he's establishing an alibi, but it's also like bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, yeah, so what happens? He like flees the house and hides in the clock tower. No one expects to search Mm. there except his wife. Well, his wife goes there through like some kind of back way that that they that they had both decided on at some stage, I guess. And but then, kind of, Mister Wilson sort of figures it out straight away that he would go to the clock tower if he was going to be hiding anywhere. Where else is he yeah. going to go? Like, it's like it's like oh, we're all looking for him. Close all the roads. It's like where do you mm. think he is? Just wh- where's the one place he goes? Exactly. Go there. Like, yeah, like, yeah it would have. It wouldn't have been it, like if the movie's final scene happened somewhere completely different. It would have. It would have just been funny because you know they've been setting up the clock tower as kind of the, almost the centerpiece of the movie, and then I just it would have been so funny if the if the climax happened somewhere like on a road or something. <laughs> yeah. I um. So climax. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed the climax, and it was—I thought it was a, quite a graphic climax, especially when you see the, the the sword actually go through his body and come yeah. out the other come out oh, the other end. Which, like that kind of violence, I hadn't really seen much in movies from this period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, there's another really violent part in the scene too, where uh, his wife's shooting yes. at him. Which I thought was intense because it's like the camera's over her arm, so you see what mm. she sees, and you see her shooting, and it's kind of like dodging behind pillars. Yeah. It's like a first-person shot. It was like really much more um, graphic because movies earlier in the decade, or especially in the 30s, it, you'd have to shoot someone off mm. off screen. So like in a lot of gangster films, you see someone get shot, or you see someone shoot off screen, and then you see like their their shadow being like, mm. Ugh, I'm yeah. hit. And in this one, it's like boom, 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 like in a much more realistic fashion. Yeah, I think in that um, one, and one of the shots that she fires that misses him, I think it felt like you could almost see the bullet hit the wood behind him as well. So yeah. it was it was actually yeah, it was a pretty realistic scene in that sense, which which is which was well done. It was yeah. Um, okay, so he gets impaled and yep. falls right. Yep. And, um, okay, so now we get to my favorite line of the whole movie is Mr. Wilson's up there and they're like, oh, come on down, Mr. Wilson. And, uh, he's like, no, I'm not coming down. And then, uh, the wife's like, all right, well, I'm going to go home now. And he's like, pleasant dreams. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then the movie ends, I'm like, wow, what yeah, a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, think of this straight, you... Showed her all this concentration mm. stuff, told her her husband was a Nazi, drove her sort of insane, then used her as bait to be murdered, and then she just watched her husband brutally murdered in front of her. Even if it wasn't her husband, just watching someone die in front of her would have traumatized her. Instead of being consoling, he's just like from the – he's just uh, – while sitting up there just like pleasant dreams, like fuck <laughs> you, bitch. It was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I think he meant the. I don't know. I think maybe he did mean the line. He was being sincere when he said it, but it it comes across as being like, you know, pleasant dreams, Mrs. Longstreet. Ha ha ha. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, but yeah, it is. I guess it is quite an abrupt ending in that sense because he says that, and then it's just like end credits suddenly. Um, although I've noticed that movies from this from this era 
very few of them actually had you know the endings didn't really drag on it was usually like the climax and then maybe a couple of lines of dialogue and then the movie's over yeah there's no like no. epilogue really yeah. back i also thought i mean we have to call it out too is that when all the the villagers rush the clock tower and he knows he's cornered it's reminiscent of frankenstein oh, yes. right yeah it's it's like like how they cornered the monster. They're cornering this monster. Just have the, just like obvious like simile. Just have to pull yeah, it I mean there. they're like basically like they're almost like a, a lynch mob going to get someone. <laughs> so uh, what? How did you watch this movie? Like, did you watch it online or? Uh, I, I, yeah, I got quality? a copy of it online. I think the copy that I got must have been from the Blu-ray that was released recently. But I've read that the Blu-ray actually isn't that good the 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 image apparently my the image looked quite sort of waxy and it looked a little bit soft apparently the okay. the, the um MGM released a DVD version in 2007 which apparently is has better image quality than the Blu-ray but yeah. this movie I, I I don't mind saying it on the podcast because this movie is actually in the public domain so you can get a copy of it pretty much any way you like and you're not you know you're not breaking the law or anything so yeah i mean i have my my box set of the five film noir movies that are in public domain and i you know i watched detour from it last week and the quality detour quality went up and down a little bit but this one was crystal clear and crisp the entire movie i was actually astounded that because i feel like i'm like how how did this survive so Mm. well like it was completely crisp um the whole movie all the way through so it was a really good uh version and this was like on homestar media i think it was in their their film yeah. noir well set. maybe they i'm so, i'm assuming then they maybe they would have they would have used the 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 mgm release from 2007 for that box set probably um, not i think it's like even though the movies in public domain the the transfers are by oh, okay, right uh, like i don't think you can just be like oh Criterion Collection did a public domain movie. I'll just like take it. You have to take. You have to go back to the source material. So you get like a copy of the original mm-hmm. or like an older transfer, and then go yeah. from there. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I wouldn't mind finding a, a better copy of the movie to watch again because the um, I sort of noticed that the image. I mean, the image was clear, but like I said, it had a bit of a, a sort of a waxy look to it, which I found strange, and then. My, um, the my sound was a little bit out of sync with the with the images as well, which was just a okay. little bit distracting. So if I like if I can track down that that MGM DVD copy of the movie, um, you know I may I may actually want to watch it again. It looks like it is. It looks like it's available on on Amazon that that MGM release. Eighteen dollars, so you know, not super cheap, not too expensive, but yeah. Let's see. Let's see what it is. Is that the US? Uh, it's, yeah, Amazon? it's Amazon.com. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so what did you think of the movie um, overall? Overall, like I found the movie really entertaining. It's, um, you know, obviously it was interesting to to watch it as as, as part of Orson Welles's overall body of work, even though I'm not that familiar with with his other movies. Um, so I kind of, I guess I kind of evalu- evaluated it more in terms of the film noir genre. 
I think it definitely evokes uh, the atmosphere and, and the look of a film noir. It's not, I can't call it, I don't know if I can call it a great movie because I do have a few issues with the screenplay and some like plausibility um, things that, that, that kind of could have, I think could have been done better, but I thought, I thought Edward, Edward G. Robinson and Orson Welles were, you know, were really great. Well, not great. They were solid in their roles. And I kind of liked the, I liked the psychological thriller aspect of it, how the wife is being manipulated and, and how the movie builds to its climax. So yeah, I wouldn't like I wouldn't say you know it's not on the level of say a double indemnity or or out of the past or you know the really great film noirs, but it, it it's it's a solid entertaining movie and like I'd I'd happily I'd happily rewatch it because I I found it you know captivating enough. What about what okay, about you? Well, I, yeah. I, I liked it. I mean, I thought it was okay. I wasn't really into it that much. I felt like. But yeah, after like the first fourth of the movie, I felt like the majority of the movie just kind of dragged. I got kind of bored. Um, but the acting, especially of um, Orson Welles and Edward G. Robinson, was was amazing. I liked the music in parts, and some of the shots were incredible. Um, you know, I mentioned like I guess my three favorite: the uh, coming into the bedroom at night, sawing the ladder, and then also the um, uh, the the Nazi in the living room. What's his name? Um, Conrad. Conrad, that's right. Yeah, Conrad sitting in the living room, and I always have those like images in my head. So I like it for that. It wasn't like a, a worthless movie by mm. any account, but I was a little bit let down by it, and I wouldn't really recommend people to see it at all. I um, I liked it a lot more than Detour because at least in this movie there was like, oh well, what's going on is stupid, but the acting's all right, or I like the shot, or I like the music, but. Compared to like Citizen Kane and stuff, it's not the shots. I'd say like ninety percent of the shots in the movie are kind of like stock Hollywood shots that move the narrative forward. There's only a few like kind of like auteur shots okay. that like Orson Welles is really stepping in to mm. kind of like make a point or make interesting, and so it's a little bit like boring visually. But it's still you know still like a more detour, and you know wasn't wasn't bad by any accounts just kind of mm. like yeah yeah i mean that's sort of sort of how i feel like you know entertaining overall but like if you're yeah if you're really into film noir i'd say yeah there's probably dozens of of, of other movies that you should probably seek out and, and watch instead of instead of this one yeah so uh, what are we where are we going from here are we continuing with film noir oh well, yeah we, i think uh, i mean we some... probably don't have to do a uh, probably don't have to look at a uh, i don't know we could maybe do one more one more movie maybe something something that's a bit more recent where we could either look at something from from the from the like from the 80s or from the 70s or you know, like even his early 90s um what's what's the nicholas cage oh, um, red red rock west Red Rock West, Red West? Rock okay. West, yeah. Okay, and you, you've seen it before, I right? have, but very, like again, probably more than ten years ago, and I don't rec- and I don't remember much from it. So, I would I would recommend either either that or from the same director, The Last Seduction. Now let's do let's do um, Red 
Red Rock West because there's Nicolas yes. Cage in it. Yeah, I mean, we need to get to Cage at some stage, so... And we'll probably get to him at uh, several um, and several episodes of this podcast. <laughs> I mean, there's it's like seven bucks. I might just buy it. Oh, plus it has Dennis Hopper in it. Yeah, I want to see this yeah. really badly. So yeah, let's just okay. do this. One. And then um, yeah, and then I guess we can decide whether we really want to do something after that. But I think you know we've we've we would have done three movies. Um, you know, two from two from sort of the classic period and one that's. Kind of a bit more, a bit more recent, and and a, yeah, a, and a pretty massive, something that puts a difference, maybe a slightly different spin on the genre. Okay, mm. yeah, so that sounds good, and then maybe we'll uh, follow that up with a, yeah. Well, actually, let's not talk about it on the podcast. Let's talk about outside the podcast to come back with yeah, something interesting. Yeah, keep the keep the audience in suspense. <laughs> yes. Well, that was um, Just like yeah, that was that was that was a good discussion. Um, you know, it was it was interesting for me to kind of obviously see the movie because it's Orson Welles, and you know, I definitely want to seek out his other work, especially Touch of Evil, which I think is considered one of like the great film noirs. And um, but I think all of his work would, will be really interesting because he's had like he's had quite a. I think he's had quite he had quite a troubling experience with the movie studios in terms of his work being edited and I know like he wasn't he probably wasn't a fan of like the the, the studio system and so I think is 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 a really interesting director to just kind of look at and and explore his movies. I mean I didn't count it exactly but just looking over Wikipedia it seems almost like he has more movies that he didn't finish than ones he completed. So and I, I have heard that a lot. Like his movies were kind of unpopular, and a lot of his movies were taken from him or edited. Mm. So it's really, yeah, sort of like the, uh, yeah, you know, he runs with Eric von Stronheim, which was a silent director who just like you take his movies from him. Yeah, so, he's he's the guy who plays the butler in uh, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. Just, right. He was a silent era director who. Had like grandiose movies that the studio would always like step in and take over, and so he gave up. Well, he's kind of forced to stop directing in like I think the twenties, and he just basically did mostly uh, bit parts as like the German guy. <laughs> the German <laughs> guy, that. yeah. <laughs> German or Austrian guy, like he's in uh, the Grand Illusion, which is this French film, where uh, yeah, he's um, which is interesting because he's supposed to be like part of the. I think the Prussian aristocracy, and so he's talking to this French member of the aristocracy, and they go from French to German to English, all in the same conversation without bringing it up. They just switch, and so uh, yeah, he was a really good actor, but mm-hmm. yeah, he similar thing, kind of like Orson Welles, where he wanted to direct, but he was ahead of its time, and then he just mostly made his money by doing acting yeah. roles. Though he, Eric von Stronheim never had to do P commercials, like. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've, I'm, I mean, I, I've, I'm familiar with his name, but I can't, re- I can't recall ever having actually seen him in, in a movie, and I definitely haven't seen any of his silent era movies. Yeah, no, that was cool. fine. Anyway, uh, so join us next week, or well, next time we post this for uh, Red Red Rock West. You have, I don't know, you can. Get off Netflix on Amazon right now. It looks like it's around seven dollars. So pick it up, and we'll talk about that and finish our film noir 
retrospective look at whatever and uh yeah i look forward to yep, it no that's um we're, we're both you know we're both nicholas cage fans this is something from don't out us so oh early. yeah well i guess i guess we uh, i guess people have guessed that we're fans of his by now so um yeah <laughs> spoiler alert um yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so that will be that'll be our next show and um yeah thanks for listening everybody i've been rudy in auckland yeah this is uh chris in chicago over and out see you later guys awesome i've stopped recording no i haven't uh